we have an epidemic of, of a loss of wisdom. Suffering equals progress. Mm -hmm. That is wrong. We learn most of our patterns in the first seven years of life. Hi, everyone, and welcome to this episode of the podcast in partnership with Smartcast and Najahi Events. More about those great organizations later. Today's guest was the founder of Bulletproof Coffee. Remember that? He's a biohacking legend. He's been on TV all over the world talking about how you can biohack the future, and he believes you can live to 180. I can't wait to dive in and be a student and understand how biohacking can really benefit us and also what we can do on a day-to-day -day basis to take advantage of looking after our bodies and making them last just that little bit longer. Organizations such as Smartcast, who are solving the problem of food security in the world, have supported this podcast because they believe in the mission that I'm on. When you understand the work that they do at trying to solve the problem with this massive population growth we've been having over the years and providing a way of bringing food safely to everybody, it really is something I admire. And lastly, thank you to Najahi Events who have been sponsoring us now on the podcast for over a year. Najahi bring motivational speakers to the region to help inspire, educate, and motivate you to achieve better success and live a better life. Dave, thank you so much for coming to join us on the show. You built this thing called Bulletproof Coffee some yeah. years ago, and everyone around the world that started to pick up on it were like, what the heck, you know? And I come from the UK where we have salt in our, shoe, in our, in our butter. <laughs> right. and, I, and all I'm sitting and thinking is, what, what, salted butter in my coffee? I don't know about that. Yeah, my coffee wife, soup. <laughs> <laughs> my wife comes from the, the Uzbekistan and so they've never had salt in their butter. That's not what you do, that's nuts, you know? Mm -hmm. And so she said, no, 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 you should try that kind of stuff. How did the idea come? Where did it start from? <laughs> what, 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 has, what created this story? All right. I used to weigh 300 pounds. I don't know what that is in stone, but it's 50% more than I weigh now. So I was fat. And before I was 30, I had all the diseases of aging. I had massive cognitive dysfunction. I had fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome. Uh, I had arthritis since I was 14, prediabetes, and high risk of stroke and heart attack. But my career was taking off. I was a co-founder of uh, the company that held Google's first servers when it was two guys and two computers. And we grew to a $36 billion market cap. And I'm not even 30. And, and all of a sudden, all this stuff is happening, but I'm in meetings. I can't remember anything. I'm so exhausted. I've got the accelerator pushed all the way to the floor, and I'm slowing down every day. And I'm biting my cheek until it bleeds in meetings to try and focus. I can't do it. It doesn't matter how much I try. It doesn't matter how much I want. So I decided I'm going to have to fix myself. And I tried all the stuff that's supposed to work. The doctors told me vitamin C would kill me and they were useless. Eventually, this was led to the birth of biohacking. I said, okay, I'm just going to measure. I'm going to do what actually works instead of what I think works. I'm a trained computer hacker. That's what I do. So if we can manage the internet, how hard can the body be? Well, after a while, I said, I'm going to have to learn the stuff that I don't want to believe might work. So I went to South America and I learned from shamans. And then I went to Nepal and Tibet. 
And I said, I'm going to learn meditation from the masters. Heck, I'm a computer science guy. I didn't even think meditation was a thing. <laughs> it was for crazy people. Yeah. Yeah, this was going back a ways. And I went to Mount Kailash in a remote part of Western Tibet. It takes five days in a four-wheel drive to get there. And it's the holiest mountain in the world. It's the Mount Olympus of the East. And you go there. It's 18,000 feet elevation. And of course, I'm there at the wrong time of year. <laughs> 10 degrees below zero, 30 mile an hour winds. And I'm feeling like I'm going to die because that's how you're supposed to feel at that altitude. And I'm trained in high altitude mountaineering and all. And I'm stumbling around and this little Tibetan woman, half my height, gives me a bowl of yak butter tea. And like, that's gross, but I'm so hungry and I'm so tired. I'll just, I'll do whatever. Minute, yeah. And I drank it. And within a minute or two, it was like my brain turned on in a way that I had forgotten. I didn't remember because I had so much brain fog what that was like. And I thought, wait a minute, this is not possible. Give me another. <laughs> so I had like 20 little cups of it along that day and I made it around the mountain. And I came back to Silicon Valley afterwards and I said, this is great. I bought some tea, I bought some butter and it tasted like crap and it didn't work. But I'm a science guy. So I went and I spent a thousand dollars on tea. <laughs> then it got even, even funnier because I said, it must be the butter. And I tried 25 kinds of butter and the I couldn't buy yak butter. But grass-fed butter worked and normal butter didn't. And then I said, all right, I've given up coffee for five years. But I had one cup of coffee after I came back and I drank it. I'm like, yes, I love this. I love coffee. I've always loved coffee. I have a, a tattoo of the caffeine molecule on my arm right here. And magically, I felt great after the coffee. The next day I had a cup of coffee and I felt wrecked again. I said, wait a minute. It's not me overnight. It's that different coffee does different things. So I put all this together and I was blending butter in mold-free coffee. And I added some MCT oil, which I knew about because I'd been running an anti-aging nonprofit group, even though, yes, I'm in my, what, 30? And I'm running an anti-aging group where all the members are 65 plus. <laughs> because those techniques for longevity were the ones that brought me back from being as sick as I was. So I went from being an old young man and they taught me their, uh, their mastery. And this is why part of my goal with the longevity movement that I'm a big part of, we have an epidemic of, of a loss of wisdom. Older people are supposed to have enough energy and enough memory to guide and coach the next generation and the next generation after that. And what we've done is we built a society where our old people are too sick, too tired, and too forgetful to perform the role of the village elder. So that's the real epidemic that's happening. And I want to build people who are 100 years old and look and act like they're 35. And that's my goal because they are going to be able to say, you know what? The last two times the government tried to do that, they were scamming us mm -hmm. and they have the memory. And you know what, son? You really don't want to go out with her. And I'll tell you why, because I made that mistake twice. <laughs> I cultivate friends 20 and 30 years older than me because they've already made the mistakes that I would make if I didn't have those friendships. That's fascinating. This all came from the feeling. That's where that started. You're up on that mountain and it was just, whoa, that made me feel better. Let's put it like this. If you were feeling like yourself and you did a line of Coke. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, whoa, what just happened? It was not a subtle feeling. 
Oh, really? It, it was a very noticeable, it, it was a tingly thing inside my brain, like something waking up. And that's actually what it was. And now I know a lot about biology. I've read tens of thousands of papers, four New York Times bestsellers, including on the science bestseller list. And I lecture to doctors all over the world uh, because of what I learned. And it wasn't just from drinking the coffee, but part of my practice was hardcore artificial intelligence, computer science, architecture, running a program at the University of California. So I am you know, raised as a, an atheist. And I believe that everything that mattered was neck and up. So it's all about your brain. And I started taking smart drugs and my brain didn't work. In fact, I probably wouldn't be here today if I hadn't done that. So I, I, you know, it's all about the brain. It's all about the brain. And anything below the neck is noise and it's irritating. So anything that's an emotion, anything that's just a distraction there, like, God damn it, I wish that would stop distracting me. It's a mosquito. Let's swat it. This is a very masculine perspective. Lots of people have this going on. In fact, a lot of Brits especially have this, and we could talk about why if you want to. But what I learned, fortunately, when I was 30, after I got divorced from my first wife, and I'm like, why? I, I've already been famous. I've been in Entrepreneur Magazine when I was 23 with my picture in the middle of it. The first thing ever sold over the internet was sold out in my dorm room. It was a t-shirt that said caffeine, my drug of choice. E-commerce wasn't named yet. So, okay, I've got my little fame thing. That didn't make me happy. Got 15 minutes from it. I made $6 million, which is like $100 million in today's money. Thank you, Biden. And uh, <laughs> <So> maybe more. <laughs> exactly. But and I made it and I lost it. And when I made it, I looked at another friend at the company where I worked and we all had BMWs. We all made money in the dot-com boom. And I said, you know what? I'll be happy when I have $10 million. So I, before I'm 30, I've already tried fame. I've already tried money and I'm freaking miserable. And... That really made me angry and, and it, it, it was not fair. I, I did the work, I suffered, I you know, put my health to the side, I put my relationships to the side. I did what they told me. I even did all the low fat and exercise yourself to death nonsense and I still weighed 300 pounds. I'm like, what the heck? <laughs> and I just made that commitment, I'm gonna do what works. I don't care if it makes sense or not. And I was doing my first personal development work and I was, Talking with a woman um, who has since passed, who was the head of the American Pre and Perinatal Psychology Association. I didn't even know that thing existed. And she said, do, do you feel anything right now? And we're at this event where people are punching pillows and all this stuff that I thought was pretty stupid. And I said, yeah, I'm feeling something. I'm feeling pissed off because this is dumb and, and like it's irritating. And, and she said, well, there's something in there besides anger. And I said, what could it be? I, I don't feel anything else. She says, well, look in your body. And I'm like, what do you mean look around? I said, okay, well, my stomach feels weird. And she said, there's a name for that. I said, okay, what is it? And she said, it's fear. And I looked at her and I said, it's not fear because there isn't anything here to be afraid of. Therefore, it's not fear. Okay, this is what happens when you live in your head. You can think yourself out of any emotion. And she looked at me and she laughed. It was this like glowing blue eyes like she was in Dune the movie. Her name was Barbara Findeisen. And she said, Dave, fear is an emotion. It doesn't have to have a reason. It doesn't have to make sense. And that's what led me to understand that you can simultaneously be a rational actor and entirely irrational at the same time. And understanding that there's a separate operating system in your body that does crazy stuff before you can notice and invisibly and that you take credit for it later is really important to understand about yourself and that you can make rational decisions and that neither one of those 
is superior to the other. But if you pretend that only one of those two exists, you will be either incredibly unhappy and you'll think you're a meat robot, or you'll be the airy fairy yoga teacher who can't feed themselves. Those are your two choices, or you can learn to walk in both worlds. And that's what I did. The, the world that you got into, this the kind of evolution of understanding is what I see. It's kind of like there was this massive naivety that existed out there. And to, I would argue, to still to most people, it still exists, this, this naivety. Oh, I, I, it, it's not even naivety because... Oh, ignorance then. Well, it's actually just invisibility. You're not supposed to know about this. Here's what's happening in the provable reality. When I say something, your brain for your age takes about 350 milliseconds. That's a third of a second before it gets any electrical signal. But from what you see, when my lips move and when you hear me, you're hearing me in real time. There's a half a second delay in there that you can't see and that I can't see. But there's a whole system in your body that's doing all sorts of invisible stuff. It's even removing your ability to see the fact that you're lagging behind the world around you. And there's a lot of stuff happening in there. And when you realize there's that, then you realize that your body constructs a filter on reality based on what you expect. So if you were to pick up this glass and it weighed twice as much as it was supposed to, you would notice. But you didn't notice how much it weighed because it met your expectations. So when you change your expectations of reality, you start noticing things in your new reality. So we all have filters. So these people aren't ignorant. They have a filter on reality that was installed by their parenting, by their culture, and by media. They just have bad settings. They're not ignorant. But if that's then the problem, how is that? How are those settings then fixed? Well, it, can it be done? It can, can absolutely it be? be done. Yeah. Okay. Now, well done a minute. Let's, 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 I'll, be your guinea, I'll be the guinea pig here because people okay. know me. The, the, the ones of my audience know me. Okay. So I'm 52 years old. Uh, I come from divorced parents. They, they didn't have much after my dad went bankrupt and mm -hmm. stuff. And so we started to, you know, my mum went out and had to start all over again and so did my dad and they did and and watching my mum as a kid watching my mum work really hard with nothing was a real motivator for me i could see yep. that she was uh she was really hungry to try and be somebody and then i then got older i did terribly at school i was absolutely useless left at 16 I, there was no point in being there i was staring out the window and the lessons were too complicated for me or they didn't mean enough mm -hmm. and i got into the in, into the world of business and started doing what i did and as and the one rule one rule i had is that if i ever get married i'm never going to get divorced because i don't i don't ever want to feel what what i felt myself i don't want anyone to ever feel what i yeah. experienced and so that was my one rule Okay, which I broke five years into my first marriage. High five. <laughs> <laughs> so it's kind of like when I, when I look back at that, uh, it's like the one, you know, but also then I have to remember when I was walking up the aisle the first time I got married, I also was walking up the aisle going, why am I doing this? So some bad decisions are being made. I have never been buff. Okay. And I've always probably been a couple of kilos more than I should have been from the age of maybe 30. I remember noticing it from 30 onwards. And now I, I battle because I go to the gym every single day to work out. I try and eat healthy. I battle every day to be at what the settings say my target weight should be. So I'm 170, I'm five foot, five foot 10, five foot 11, nearly 179 centimeters. And it says that I should be in terms of kilos, I should be 80 kilos. Yeah, it says on that index. Hmm. 
yeah, I'm sitting there. So, at so you're doing stuff that doesn't work and you're continuing to do it because you're a good person, right? I'm continuing to do it because I don't know anything else to do. Yeah. <laughs> we'll have <laughs> to talk about of that. madness, isn't it? Yeah. I, I, I am at 7.1% body fat. I'm 13, so there you go. Well, 13 is actually pretty good, but 7.1% is getting to the edge of too low to be healthy. It just it's sort of happens. Because... I dream of being 10. So we, we could get you to 10 probably without even that much work and without any <laughs> suffering. That's what Upgrade Labs does. wasted the last okay. 10 years. <laughs> well, okay. I'm actually pissed about this. I, I, I got to share that. And then we're going to go back in, into your story as a kid. But I had two knee surgeries when I was like 19 and 20 okay. um, because I had arthritis since I was 14 and my knees were dislocating. So I thought to myself, this weight is going to go. It is the most important thing on earth. I'll just go to the gym six days a week, an hour and a half a day, half weights, half cardio. I'm going to go on a low fat, low calorie, semi-vegetarian diet. I ate a little bit of meat, but not very much. Okay. Sounds good. 18 months later, ripped, right? No. I still had a 46 inch waist. I'm a 31 right now. Uh -huh. Okay. <laughs> so Gee, man. I could max out all the machines, but two at the gym and I still was fat. And I thought, it's because I'm eating too much lettuce. Like, clearly, <laughs> what else could it be? It has to be a personal failing, a moral failing. Yeah. I should do it. How about the stuff they tell you doesn't work? What I have learned at Upgrade Labs, which is franchising right now across North America. In fact, one of the reasons I'm here in Dubai is to see if I can find um, a regional franchisee who wants to take the whole country. We can give you cardiovascular fitness in three five-minute sessions per week that don't require sweating. Oh, and it, oh, it is oh, six oh, oh. times three better. five-minute sessions. Yes, and it is six times more effective than doing five days a week of an hour of sweating with someone yelling at you in tight shorts. Okay? Literally, it outperforms by oh. six times sweating and suffering. My, wow. my Well, you use artificial intelligence. There's an algorithm to get a signal in your body to make it change. And what we believe, because the Puritans did it to us, this is old religious programming, is that suffering equals progress. Mm -hmm. That is wrong. You do not have to suffer. You are not supposed to suffer. So it turns out, okay, the amount of work you do is good. So running 10 miles is better than running five, right? Well, it turns out, no, that's not how it works. What works is you want to rapidly get the body right to the edge of not being able to do something and then rapidly being able to restore equilibrium and come right down. And the body goes, oh, I guess I'm going to have to improve. So you can turn on a switch that says to improve <laughs> and then you'll improve. Or you could get to that level and then beat the crap out of yourself with another 10 miles of running and then you don't improve because you used all your energy on it. So we can put muscle on three to five times faster than lifting weights. We can fix your cardio in almost no time whatsoever. And in the time that's left over, we have neurofeedback equipment that you hook up to your brain to exercise your brain to do way more meditation than you could ever do by yourself. My neuroscience clinic that's based in Seattle has a five-day intensive program. 1,500 entrepreneurs like you and me have gone through that over the last few years. It's a brain upgrade. And I had to build technology to do that to, to change my own brain. And that tech is getting rolled out into Upgrade Labs. So this is a franchise that will absolutely decimate the health club industry because health clubs have a very low return on investment. I am lazy. I want all of my exercise and all of my meditation in one minute every day. And I want to get eight hours of sleep in one minute every day. 
So, so, so <laughs> biohacking is a fancy way of saying shortcut. No. The definition of biohacking when I first created this movement was the art and science of changing the environment around you and inside of you so that you have control over your own biology. So if what you want is to lose that extra two kilos, great. Someone over there may say, I want to get swole. And someone else says, I want to be the smartest person on earth. Someone else says, I want to be able to handle the stress that I can't handle every single day. I want more resilience. Some, someone else says, okay, I want to be a memory champion. We don't all want the same things, but we all want our bodies to obey us. And the reality is that our bodies have their own separate intelligence that is part of our ego. It's part of our consciousness. It's where trauma sits. And that listens to the world around you more than it listens to you. So we now have the ability to change the world around us so that our bodies will do what we want. I've just learned how to get a signal into the body to make it do what I want. And I could sit here and take my shirt off and I am in better shape now than I've ever been. My lab tests say that I'm 38 years old. The calendar says that I turned 50 this year and my sense of humor says that I'm in seventh grade. <laughs> okay, so I take this, this goes through this we, process. We, we got to go back to, to your, your, your start too because I'm not going to let you get away from that one. Right, but you keep, can, keep you going. can. Right. But just, uh, let me ask a question yeah. about Seattle. So I, 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 I jump on a plane, I fly to Seattle. Yeah. What is my experience going to be like over there? What are you going to okay. do to me? Give me an understanding. And is that what you're planning to bring here? I'm going to bring Upgrade Labs, which does some the, the lighter, easier to do brain stuff. It does weight, it does cardiovascular, it does energy, and it does resilience and stress management. So basically all the things that people want, the top five outcomes for health that they want in the smallest possible amount of time. Because frankly, most people don't go to the gym very much because it doesn't work very well and we're not dumb. <laughs> That's why you own a, a membership to a gym that you don't use because you know it, it's a signal to yourself that you're a good person. Mm -hmm. And this is why you hang clothes on your exercise bike at home. It, <laughs> yeah. It's Everyone does it. It's not because we're bad people. It's because it, it's how our bodies work when we're not looking. Okay, so at 40 years of Zen in Seattle, what you're going to do is you go there and we do a full clinical brain scan. I now have the largest database of high-performing people's brains on the planet. Mm -hmm. And that means I can compare your brain to other people who do big things in the world. Mm -hmm. And then I teach you something called the reset process that's in a few of my books. And this is basically you doing a process of finding the notifications or the alerts, the things that trigger you, even the very small ones, yeah. and turning off the notifications permanently. So right now, what we're taught to do as good, strong human beings is you're sitting in a meeting and someone says something and you feel it feeling in your gut and you're clenching in your chest. I really want to punch this guy and I want to tell him off, but I'm not going to because I know how to have my game face. And you talk to your therapist. They say, it's just an emotion. Let it wash through. So you sit there and you go. And everyone in the room knows you're pissed off. You're not hiding it very well. <laughs> okay. But you don't punch the guy. You win. You burned a huge amount of electrical impulses in your brain. You distracted yourself, but you got through the day. Because you let the emotion pass through the way the Buddhists teach you. <sighs> Good. Now you're working on the brain. That's an awful lot of work. We are fundamentally lazy creatures. We know that evolution designed us to conserve energy. So you can do that. And that's provably better than launching across the table like they would in parliament, right? Okay. So what if instead, when you did the reset process, the urge itself was gone? So next time the guy does that, instead of being triggered... You're just sitting there like nothing happened. And you might look at him and go, everything all right at home? 
Okay. Now I've done my boardroom politics. You can you can absolutely insert a knife into someone who's saying is everything right at home, and you can do it with mirth. You can also do it with compassion because it absolutely didn't trigger you. Someone cuts you off in traffic. I used to have this huge muscle on my middle finger <laughs> from my driving behavior. And look, if someone cuts me off right now, I'm just going to tell myself a story because you're always telling yourself stories that they're on the way to the hospital to see you know, their child be born or for their mom to pass or whatever. I, I don't know. It doesn't even matter. Look, if you needed to cut me off that much, I have absolutely the skills and the knowledge to spin them out into the ditch if I want to. I just don't want to. It's like, okay, <laughs> you go. It's fine, right? And the world's just a better place, but I'm a better person and I don't have to spend any energy on being triggered because I'm not. So turning off the switch is what you do for three days at 40 years of Zen. And it is a process where you go through and you forgive. And forgiveness isn't telling someone you forgive them. Forgiveness is dropping the grudge and dropping it neurologically so that it never bothers you again. And you do this with a lie detector on your head that shows you a certain state that lets you switch it off. And if you tell yourself, oh yeah, I'm done. I let that go. Well, the lie detector is going to tell you, try again. So you can't deceive yourself. And this is much faster than a meditative practice, than the, the, the big heart or loving kindness types of meditation, which might get you there. It just takes 40 years of daily practice, or you could do five days of really intense work and you'll be worked over by the end of it, but you've dropped a lot of this. The final two days are performance tuning. If you have a BMW, you can take it into dine and engineering, <laughs> or yeah. you, know, you can do uh, AMG Mercedes, but they take a normal car and then they rework it. And all of a sudden, like, what just happened? It's a different car. We do the same thing. So you can modify the, the amount of electricity that your brain makes. You can change the firing speed of neurons. You can rewire networks in the brain. So based on that initial brain scan, we sit down with you and we say, all right, here's our SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Here are the things you're good at. Here are the things where you probably struggle. And people, how did you know? <laughs> it's in the electricity in your brain. Would you like to fill in the potholes? Or would you like to be even better at the things that you're good at? And I coach people, hire someone to do the stuff you suck at. And why don't you put 100% of your improvement into the things that are your superpowers? And we've had billionaires. We've had uh, people who've built incredible companies come through. And one of, uh, one, of the friend, one of the guys who came through is my friend, Craig. He runs a 1,200-person call center in Mexico. And he came out and he said, my God. All of my entrepreneurial success is as a result of being bullied in seventh grade. I'm just trying to prove I'm good enough. Okay, he dropped that. So now <laughs> what happens? Massive shifts in relationships, massive shifts in ability. I was doing my entrepreneurial stuff because I knew that if I had money, I would be happy. It was wrong. And because I was going to prove I was good enough to all the bullies. At a certain point, sometime around 30, I realized. I'm just not doing that anymore because I did the work, the work with a capital W. And I realized maybe I could move towards something that mattered instead of going away from something that doesn't matter. So after having coached a lot of these people, I'm not the only facilitator at 40 Years of Zen by a long shot, you learn a lot. And I've spent six months of my life with electrodes on my head learning about my internal operating system and how to hack it after learning how to hack the other type of computers. Right. And teaching someone to do that in five days is one of the most impactful things that I know how to do, which is why that company exists. But it is 
you know, there's an executive chef. It is hardcore. It's at a mansion. And what I'm looking to do is take the very basics of that and put it in Upgrade Labs. So that'll be a franchise, hopefully, we'll do one in Dubai. But all across North America, we're rolling it out. So in the time you would have spent sitting on a bike sweating and not getting much results, we can fix your brain and we can fix your cardio. We can fix your muscles. And we're wired to be nice to each other when stuff is working. Okay. That five days sounds like the most amazing thing that anybody do. That was my intent, and it was selfishly motivated. You have no idea how trash my brain was, so but I had to build a good like fix. That's the most amazing thing I could do. So why would you, why would you take some of it and want to introduce it, as opposed to not just saying, right, that formula, uh, yeah, let's just pick that up, and put that in. In this example, put that in Dubai. You'd be in a based around what you just told me, and everybody mm -hmm. that's listening to this and, and watching this right now, that that's a no brainer for everyone to do. Now, obviously, there's an element of affordability, I'm sure, because it's not probably not going to be cheap. So there's some people that don't necessarily have the funds to be able to do it. Oh yeah, but there's a lot of people that do, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And so, and if it could fix all of the problems and all of the issues you, you say it can, it's like the limiting factor for forty years of Zen is the ability to hire the kind of facilitator and to train them. So it, it, is a, it is a very bespoke thing. So like, why do you open a Michelin five-star restaurant on every street corner? Well, it's hard to do that because you've got to find the chefs, right? I have the neuroscience, right? But there's an interaction, a human interaction here, which is really important. So right now, this is kind of Professor Xavier's school for the gifted <laughs> sort, sort of things. Uh, how much does it cost? It's $18,000. So I can go, I can fly to Seattle, I spend a week, five days, sorry, I yeah. spend $18,000 and you fix all of that stuff. It, it includes, well, you fix it, we just show you how, but it includes room and board and there's executive chef, everything is handled and you're there 10 hours a day and you are going to work your ass off. But that's nothing. Mm -hmm to fix those problems. That's like chump and, change. And I, I'm going to be really straightforward. You probably in five days aren't going to fix every little problem, but you are going to take the things that cause you the most disruption, the, the notification goes off all the time on your phone, you'll have that turned off. And what you're doing, what you did in your first marriage is a great example of that. We learn most of our patterns in the first seven years of life. And this is why the church is also just given, give us the first seven years we've got them for life because they're setting up that stuff. When you're young, you don't have a prefrontal cortex, the adult part of your brain. It doesn't even fully finish baking until you're about 24. So you live in a land of emotion and this network inside your body is trying to figure out how to keep your meat alive because your adult brain isn't in there yet. So it learns basic patterns like this is how you walk so you don't fall over because falling over hurts and eventually you don't fall over anymore. Well, there's a lot of other stuff that gets built in there. And when you do 40 years of Zen, we're going to go through and figure out, okay, was this something in, in the first seven years? And for you, the pattern you got picked up was divorce is really painful. I'm not going to do it. So all people, and this is something I learned when I was 30 without the neuroscience yet, we will do exactly what our parents do or the polar opposite of what our parents do. But a healthy person who is free, who performs and does what they want to do, they're right in the middle. 
they're not reactive, they're not for or against what their parents did because they're free of the programming that naturally is supposed to happen to keep our species alive. And this is what Buddhists or people who meditate, they talk about liberation. Almost any kind of traditional spiritual practice has that. But it turns out there are common elements across all of these spiritual practices. That's why I've studied in South America with Chinese traditions, with Tibetan Buddhism, and just around the world because I'm curious about this stuff, but I don't want to spend my life living in a cave because I have stuff to do. So I'm replacing the 40 years of living in a cave with putting electrodes on my head and just getting rid of all the meandering stuff that you do. On the same trip when I had yak butter tea for the first time that, that led to me creating Bulletproof Coffee, I spent 10 days at a monastery in Nepal. And it was, you know, don't speak every day, just very kind of structured days with lots of meditation and things like that. And I look at the amount of effort it takes to do 10 days of silent meditation. And you'd sit there and I'm going, am I doing this right? I have no idea. And then the nun who was teaching the meditation would say, close your eyes, sit this way. Okay, we're all trying to do it. And then visualize the Buddha and they're sitting on an orange thing and all this crazy detail. I'm like, why am I doing this? What they're trying to do is transmit to you a specific state that doesn't have a name. So if I were to tell you right now, I want you to open your heart. What does that mean? Do you have the switch? Do you, do you know which button to push to do that? What does it feel like? No one knows. So we struggle to find language that describe an inner state that, that I can feel. But how do I know if you're feeling it? Well, an advanced guru will be able to feel whether you're feeling it. And if you do it right after 25 days of sitting in the monastery, they might raise their eyebrow at you and you might notice. Well, look, like I said, I'm lazy. So I have a computer looking at 24 points on my brain a thousand times a second. So when I do it right, I'll hear a bell go off. And I go, oh, that's it. And then I do it again, and then I do it again. So you can, you can cut off this meandering path that might take years, and you can do it in a week. And my goal with 40 Years of Zen is to get enough people through that and to get enough data from doing upgrade labs that I can plug that into more of the artificial intelligence systems that we use. So instead of having to have humans do the facilitating to ask you exactly the right question, in your case, it would be, let's talk about not feeling grounded because you moved a lot as a kid. Let's talk about what the divorce did. What are the emotions that came up with that? How much of that did you take on as your own responsibility? Have you done a forgiveness process on yourself? Are you more angry at your mom or your dad? Right? What are you doing that's exactly like what they did? What are you doing that's the opposite of that? Why? And we dig. And then you say, okay, I got it. Let me run the reset process. It's going to take me two minutes. <laughs> and you're hearing sounds and you go into a very specific state and you structure some things. This is a meditation that you do with the computer helping you. And then, okay, I'm done. And when you're done, you're lighter. And for the rest of your life, all the electricity that would have gone into those pathways doesn't go there anymore. You know, so, what, I, what, yeah. what I like about what you're saying reminds me of the difference between mentors and coaches. It's kind of like, you know, I don't want to be coached by anybody, but I want to be mentored by someone that's walked in the shoes I'm going to walk in. And it's almost like you, 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 you made yourself the guinea pig. Oh, hell yeah. Uh, and as the guinea pig, it's kind of, I can't question the guinea pig. The fact that you might have read the manuals and, you know, and, and, and taken the courses, I can doubt that and question that because you might not be, you know, exactly the right person to talk to. But like with me, I'll only work with people that, that know that I've walked in their shoes. Yeah. 
it, you are, like, it's like it's hard, your, man. It's sort of, if it's your mission that you mm -hmm. went on for you that created all of this. Oh yeah. And that that's what fascinates me about it. It's because I'm I'm not doubting what you're saying right now. Now I, I, neither am I. And let's be honest, I could be deceiving myself. Humans have unlimited self-deception abilities. It's because we have that system that does stuff a half a second before we know about it. Mm -hmm. Uh, the results, though, that I see from the data, the 1,500 people who have been through the success rate, the changes in brainwaves, I, I really, truly think <laughs> that, that we've got something here. I also think we're not done, right? The other thing is people have such varying goals. You know, your goals may be very different than mine. Mine, to be perfectly honest, I wanted to be... Uh, smarter and faster and stronger and I didn't want to be fat uh, but I'm also curious and I'm an odd person I, I had Asperger's syndrome as a kid and I fixed it nutritionally and with neurofeedback where I make eye contact and all that so I'm just I'm not a baseline human by a long shot so people shouldn't try to be like me they should try to be like them but to be like you you got to get rid of all the programming and then figure out what's going on in there so I can help people do that. I know how to do that because I had really good programming and really bad biology. <laughs> my, my sister has Asperger's. Oh. So the fact that you said that really resonates with me. Yeah. But also it took me back to another interview that I did a while ago with a lady called Eleanor, 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 Eleanor Van, I think her name was. She doesn't believe that depression should be treated the way that it's treated. So, you mean with drugs? Yeah. She, she's a firm believer that it's all to do with, or the majority of it's to do with nutrition and what you're putting inside your body. Well, what's your thoughts on that? She's right. I, I'm on the board of uh, Amen Clinics, uh, Dr. Daniel Amen, uh, Change Your Brain, Change Your Life book, who's done a couple hundred thousand scans of metabolic activity in brains. He can tell you straight up what the metabolic activity of a depressed person looks like. We know that it's not a serotonin deficiency. That was bad science. And so we have all these drugs based on increasing serotonin and a massive new study just came out that proved that that's not the mechanism of depression. It is also very well known, and I had to deal with this a lot, the effect of toxins on the brain and poor nutrition at the same time will cause depression, it will cause anxiety, it will cause bipolar disorder, it will cause schizophrenia. It may not be the only cause, but it will cause it. And certainly those are contributing to things like autism as well. In my case, I lived in a house that had toxic mold, which is a big problem here in Dubai. And toxic mold is a neurotoxin. It is a hormonal poison, and it can affect brain development and brain function, and certainly anxiety and depression. I did a documentary that is free. It's at moldymovie.com. And I interviewed a dozen doctors and a dozen high-performing people who were made depressed or made really sick by living in a place that had black mold in the walls. So our environment, changes us, which is the whole definition of biohacking. So I had to learn how to deal with toxic mold, how to get it out of my system, and how to recover my brain from really heavy exposures. What Dr. Amonscan showed me when I was going to Wharton Business School and I was failing out of my classes, he showed me that I had that harder problem, but they said, Dave, inside your brain is total chaos. I don't know how you're standing here in front of me. You have the best camouflage of anyone I've ever seen. In other words, I was barely keeping it together, but I knew how to put on my game face. I knew how to show up for my job. I knew how to go to business school in the evening, right? But I'm not alone. There are countless people who are feeling like they're right at the edge. And it's a brain problem. It's not a moral failing. It's not a willpower problem. 
it's a hardware problem. So you get rid of the toxins and the brain lights back up. You get the right zinc. You get the right methylation for most of the people. And I guess that's what um, Eleanor was talking about. You give them a few supplements that add a group called a methyl donor. And magically, they turn back on. And if you take it away, they get depressed again. So yeah, I think she's right. And I've had depression. And I can tell you, <laughs> you give me the right food, I am superhuman. You give me the wrong food, I am diminished. It's true of everyone. 2012, I suffered with depression and went through a year of a very dark year, which included lots of dark moments. And I was all, all the psychiatrists that I'd spoken to, all they wanted to do was medicate me. <clears throat> um, I didn't want to be medicated, but all they wanted to do was medicate me. And so there was there was a resistance, but I didn't know it had was anything to do with food. I, you know, I was all to do with <clears throat> the way I told it to myself was the stories I was telling myself. Of course, um, because that's all I knew. I didn't, it, I didn't understand it any 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 other level. You've also learned to blame yourself for all sorts of things that probably aren't your fault. Yeah. The other thing that is in your environment that affects depression that they should have told you to do is, oh, you're depressed. Every morning, as soon as you get up, take off your glasses, go outside for at least 20 minutes and get bright sunlight in your eyes. And this provably reduces depression and it makes you sleep better at night. One of my companies, I've got six companies right now in the biohacking field, and I'm an advisor or investor in dozens more. Uh, one of these companies is called True Dark, and these glasses are one of the products. We also make glasses that make you go to sleep. So people who are depressed typically have a hard time with their sleep-wake cycle. And if you dim the lights or have more of these red spectrums, and there's, a, there's four different colors you have to block, you do that for an hour before bed, they go to sleep, they get proper sleep, and they're not depressed anymore. So a combination of sunlight in the morning and dark at night oftentimes breaks a depression cycle. You do that, and you get food additives and sweeteners and bad oils and whatever else they're allergic to out of their diet. And in literally three days, the fog can lift, and, and suddenly they feel better. And within two weeks, wow. I can't believe they wanted to medicate me. But if you give them a bunch of cotton candy and French fries and have them stay up all night under bright lights, it'll come back. I don't want it to be that easy. Oh, because we I have... Don't, I don't want it to be that easy. Oh, yeah. It's because you are deeply programmed that suffering is what makes you good. You're British. <laughs> so what's this thing about us British then? <laughs> There's all the non-Brits that are watching right now. They're like, yeah, come so, on, let's go for it. So genetically, I have a lot of British in me. So I, I'm only I mean, making fun of, yeah, British, Irish, Welsh, a little Basque, and uh, all the Northern European variants that tend to invade each other every 100 years or so. Um, there's a guy named Dr. Stephen Porges, mm -hmm. um, who we call him the, the father of polyvagal theory. Sounds sexy, polyvagal right? Polyvagal theory. Right. It's something no one's ever heard of unless yeah. you're a nerd, right? The vagus nerve is the largest nerve throughout your body, and it controls your fight or flight response and your rest and repair response, um, your autonomic nervous system. So he figured out that different parts of the nerve do different things and that your body stores trauma. This is the same stuff that I was working on too. So in other words, our brain is totally good, but then someone pokes you, something triggers you, and your body feels it because the body's trying to keep itself alive even if you're not in there. It doesn't even know you're in there. It's kind of creepy. 
So he had developed some sounds that he can play, certain frequencies, certain kinds of voices, and it will cause people to release trauma and it'll cause people to actually have an elated experience unless they're deeply traumatized. So he'll go to a room in most of the world, say in New York, and he'll put 500 people in a room and he'll play the sounds. And people will they'll have amazing experiences. They'll cry, but their oxytocin levels are going up. Well, he goes to do it in London and they have to turn it off after 20 seconds because there's always a few people who melt down. And he always has some therapists around to take the people who are just losing it. They don't know why they're losing it. These are rational, good, normal human beings living their lives. And you play the right sounds for them. And all of a sudden, they just overwhelming dread and all these emotions are coming out. And like, what the hell is in there? And it's pretty scary. It's like you took drugs, but you didn't. Yeah. Only from sounds. By the way, sounds would be part of the environment around you that controls your biology. See how this is all biohacking? So... And I, I interviewed him about this and he said, Dave, in London, I realized everyone who's a native Brit went through World War II, where there's bombs falling and there's deep trauma that is passed down generationally. So there's this deep sense of dread that was built in by World War II and everyone else who's not from there, immigrants are usually displaced from their country by trauma or by famine or by something else, by war. So what you have in London is an amazing society, but it's a society where the locals are traumatized and everyone who came in is traumatized. So the amount of trauma sitting in the room there in England was so strong that almost everyone had this experience. And this goes back to the stuff that I'm doing at 40 Years of Zen, the stuff that I teach about meditation, about breath work, about all sorts of different ways of releasing trauma. You every day, you take 30 pounds of air and some amount of food, you combine them to make electricity and you allocate that electricity throughout your day and use it to breathe, to make your heart beat, to love someone, to hate someone, to be fearful, to be stressed, to be anxious, to be loving, to be kind. And you only have so many electrons. <laughs> so my goal is I don't want to waste any of those electrons on useless negative emotions that aren't even reality based. They're based on something that happened 70 years ago when bombs were falling. They are not falling now, but your stupid meat doesn't know. And it learned from your mom that that's happening, right? This is the human condition. We just don't have to live in it anymore. It's so true. Doesn't it resonate? Oh, massively. Is it, yes. Because you think I was, a, a friend of mine the other day was, he's a wealthy guy, buys loads of real estate and stuff, but he's got this team of, team of, brainiacs that decide where they should buy and what they should buy and stuff sure but he always even though he's a billionaire he always gets on the bus on the, on the underground and goes and looks at the location and so he was in this one location in london and he went and did a bit of research and he found a documentary on this one part of the east end of london mm -hmm. how just 12 years ago it was 75 percent white and now 12 years later it's 12% white mm -hmm. and it's now uh, Somali and uh, Pakistani and Indian in this area. And just in 12 years, that changes. It's a big shift. Massive shift, massive shift. And I know the area because when I was a kid, okay, I used to work in that area. So I know exactly where he meant. And I was like, no, it can't be that bad. Of course, there was there was obviously immigrants there at the time, but not that much. And then so they interviewed the guy that ran the, 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 the British Legion there, which is like a, an old man's social club. They're either dying or they're moving out of the area. And so 
all of these these places that were just normal, the pub, mm-hmm. okay, they don't go to because there's nobody going to the pubs. And so, and then when you look and analyze all the people that go there, why do they go there? People nowadays in India don't go to England looking for salvation. There's plenty of shit going on in India that gives right. them opportunity right. now. Yeah, it's just like, we're okay, thanks. Right. You know, and the only people that are moving to the UK, I believe in, in, in larger numbers, are people that are trying to find a way to get out of the hell they're in and put themselves into a better life. So what you say really resonates with yeah. me. How do you get to a point where you change a nation then? So you, you're never going to do that. They're always gonna, that's always going to be there. So you have, you have to do it one person at oh. a time. Well, there, there's a couple, a, a couple words that I don't use, and one of them is never, and the other one's impossible. And I substitute in my thinking, in my language, is I either don't have the knowledge or the resources to do it right now. But I don't think it's impossible. And I've gotten in arguments with my 13-year-old son about this. And every time they say, I need to do this or that's impossible, so the typical argument is, Daddy... We can't fly to the sun without a spacesuit right now. So well, that's an interesting use of can't, but sure we can. Just change the laws of physics. And he goes, but I don't know how to do that. And I said, exactly. <laughs> right? So I will tell you straight up, we will change. Not just the nation, we'll change the world. That is why biohacking exists. Because we can control our biology so it does what it wants, including our brains, including our minds, including our hearts. We know how to do this. And the good thing about humans is that entirely invisibly to your conscious brain, right now, your spacing of your heartbeats is an indicator of how fight or flight stressed you are. And so is mine. However, so, so the, the spacing of my heartbeats. It's not how many beats per minute, it's how evenly spaced they are. It's okay. called heart rate variability. It's something that if you track your you have a fitness tracker, most of them do that now. Um, this was you know, really, really big science back in 2008. I started advising the company that did a lot of this research. And what we know is that if a human walks into a stall where there's a horse, before you touch the horse, the horse's heartbeat spacing will change to match yours. This is why tweaked people can't ride a horse. They'll buck you off. But if you can calm your nervous system, then you can ride the horse. Horses are a form of biofeedback. So there is a thing going on. It's magnetic around your heart which is where this field comes from. There's a field, it's um, shaped like a donut. It's tipped eight degrees to the left. I will bet you that my heart rate variability and the strength of my field is higher than yours and that yours is resonating to mine or vice versa. Humans all do this to each other. It's invisible, but it's provable with math and science. This is research from the Heart Math Institute. So what that means is that we only need about 15% of a population to shift and everyone else will just shift with them because we resonate with each other. This is part of the, the invisible transmission of culture in the human state. You ever see someone walk into a room and they have a vibe and you don't know what it is? But what, pe- positive, like an aura? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah and people are, or people are attracted to them or people just want to hear what they have to say or they just walk in the, the door and everyone's head turns. Mm-hmm. You think that's just random? It's not. It's just invisible to our conscious brains by design, but your body knows. Why is that woman so attractive? She might be so attractive because she's ovulating right now. And you don't know it, but I I can tell you damn straight, your body knows it. And that's why she's the most interesting woman in the world. And I've interviewed five or six guests about this. And they're saying, look, if a woman knows when she's ovulating and she's not on the pill, if she can schedule her major presentation on that day, 
it's going to be the best presentation of her life. Mom. And she'll get 10 million views on TED and she'll get the funding for her company. For real. And it's all invisible to our meat. Our meat bodies know it, but our brains don't. Whoa. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> It's just so, so we're all hacking. Yeah, I could ovulate. <laughs> exactly right. It's, it's a disadvantage. We we have we have vagina envy right here. <laughs> wow, that's crazy. So, so we're all affecting each other at all these different levels that are invisible. And I'll tell you, you want to change a nation, you just need to change enough people. This is how it's always been. This is what Gandhi did. This is what every religious leader does. Every big movement that starts. And there are people who do negative things out of trauma. Did you know that the plant-based vegan movement was started by a person who's living entirely off of World War II trauma from concentration camps? No. I interviewed his daughter on my show. My show is called The Human Upgrade. Yeah. And yeah, so the daughter of the founder of PETA uh, went carnivore. She had to start eating meat because the vegan diet made her so sick. And she said, look, I know that my dad means well, but... He's making lots of people sick and he's publicly saying, I saw what happened in concentration camps and I, I just, I felt the same feeling, that same trauma we talked about yeah, before yeah. when I saw a slaughterhouse and now I can never eat meat again and I'm going to share my trauma with the world by telling people to eat a diet that makes them weak, reduces testosterone and is causing massive sickness. So we have to be aware of our traumas because they will harm us and they will harm other people if you don't know they're in there and you don't deal with them this is the process of becoming more conscious are vegans more depressed on average yeah there's a study that just came out yes vegans are more depressed their bones are less dense they're weaker they have lower testosterone levels it is not a healthy diet i was a raw vegan okay i would have done anything okay, including yeah, the sense. gravel diet i'd have eaten bugs i would have done anything to lose that 100 pounds. It was the most important thing in my life. I've tried Atkins, Zone, every diet on earth. My book called The Bulletproof Diet, people have lost 2 million pounds on that book. It's been published in 16 languages. <laughs> I had to develop that diet to recover from what being a raw vegan did. It destroyed my health even more than it already was. When you go vegan, you'll feel great for six weeks yeah. and then you'll start a slow decline until you figure it out. The number of people who have gone vegan, gotten sick, figured it out after a couple of years, and then spent the next five years climbing out of that is incredibly high. It is a scam, and it's a scam that's highly profitable for food companies. What so just don't do it. Vegetarians can be healthy. It's harder, but you can do it. You must eat butter because you need saturated fat to make testosterone, hormones, and to make your brain. And you've got to eat eggs because you need the protein. So if you're not allergic to eggs and you're not allergic to dairy, you can be a vegetarian, but there's not a good argument for it um, unless it's a religious thing. And then when we look at people like, I, I, I've seen this guy, I saw him on Stephen Bartlett's podcast recently, um, The Liver King. <laughs> I, was just... I don't know whether this is a caricature. I don't know whether this guy is real. I haven't got my head around it. I want my cynicism to be proved wrong, ideally. But is he... Is he... I, I love the liver king. Okay. My first book going way back was about how to have smarter and healthier kids because my wife at the time was infertile when I met her and I put together a diet with her. She's a medical doctor that restored her fertility. We had our kids at 39 and 42 with no medical treatments required. 
So that was a book called The Better Baby Book. In it, I talk about you need to eat raw liver. It's the first thing you feed your kid after breast milk. It's so important. So liver is provably good for you. However, eating very large amounts of organs will raise levels of something called purines. And purines are not good for you metabolically based on a whole bunch of research. There's a book by Dr. David Perlmutter, who's a dear friend who writes about this called Drop Acid, Dropping Uric Acid Levels. So basically, you should have about an ounce of raw liver on a daily basis. And the other organs, yes, I've been using organs for 15 years. Right oh, in my books. You should have an ounce of raw liver every day. It just tastes gross. I take mine in pills the way Liver King talks about. That's his okay. big product. So with Liver King, with all of his muscles like that, uh, Joe Rogan um, accused him of you know, using testosterone. Uh, I don't think Joe's that credible. I've been on, the, on his show three times in terms of his ability to know if someone's taking testosterone or not. But... Um, I would say he eats a huge amount of beef testicle. <laughs> That'll raise your testosterone. So the, the guy is clearly muscular and lean. Uh, and just last week on Instagram, he had a, a challenge about you know taking pills. And I, I made fun of him and said, hey, Liver King, you, you said someone was more manly than you if they could swallow more than 30 pills. So I swallowed 50 pills because I take a lot of anti-aging supplements on purpose. And it, it's funny because now I'm 11 and a quarter years younger than my actual age. I think my supplements work and I've studied that for 25 years. So yeah, supplements work, but with Liver King, he's, you know, big handfuls of liver and all. Some of that's caricature, but the idea that you need to eat more protein than you think, yes, that is real. The idea that plant-based protein is garbage, that is real. So there's people that do this meat-only diet, don't they? Jordan, carnivore, Jordan, yeah. Carnivore diet, yeah. Was it Jordan Peterson was doing it? Just, just yeah. eating meat every day and I just interviewed his daughter, yeah. So oh, yeah, she did it too. Yeah, she oh, it, it changed her whole life. Uh, yeah, we had a great interview. So here's the deal. Grass-fed meat is incredibly important and healthy for you. I live on an organic regenerative farm. We have three cows, 25 sheep, a bunch of chickens, and some pigs. And it, we're building soil because building soil is how you save the environment right now. You need hooved animals to do that, um, especially, especially cows and sheep and goats. So that's all, that's all important. And if you go and you eat industrial meat, which is what most meat is, corn and grass-fed, you're getting glyphosate, you're getting the wrong fats, and it just doesn't work as well. So if you can do it, grass-fed's good. If you can't do it, industrial meat's your next best choice. But if someone says, oh, look, I have this pea protein, soy protein, plant-based smoothie that's stupidly expensive, plant proteins are designed to protect plants from being eaten. Gluten is a plant-based protein. Someone could give you five scoops of gluten and say it's a high-protein smoothie. It's stupid. Do you remember the Tokyo subway attacks yes. with sarin, the nerve gas? That is a plant-based protein from beans. Okay, plant-based proteins are not morally superior and they are certainly not nutritionally superior. Animal-based proteins feed humans well. We eat that, we digest all of it, and it goes into making us stronger and it puts minerals in our system. When you eat plant-based proteins, they suck minerals out of your system and it makes you weak and it lowers your testosterone, it lowers your thyroid. My new coffee company is called Danger Coffee. I'm adding minerals back into the coffee. So people drink the coffee. Like, Why is it so good? It's so good because your meat operating system in there because minerals, I needed minerals. And you'd like the coffee and you absorb the coffee better because I'm replacing the minerals that plant-based diets stole from you. So we should eat more meat. We should eat more grass-fed meat. We should eat some liver. 
You should eat some you liver. Know, I love the fact that there's people that hate liver. I, 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 but I love cooked liver, though. Oh, do you? I oh, man. I, I love, I, oh. As a kid, we used to be fed it liver and, liver and bacon with onions. Yeah. And so it was, it was, it was, for me, it was good. I love it. See, my, um, my ex-wife uh, was like that because she grew up in Europe. Same thing. The liver's great. And, and she'd cook it. I can't eat this. I, I grew up in New Mexico. Like, give me the bacon and the steak, right? So I just take the pills and I'm okay with that. And I take other organ extracts as well. It's it's a really good idea. It's Mother Nature's original B vitamin. It's like liver and oysters. Eat those on occasion, even just once a week. You'll be fine. And it okay, helps a lot. Let's do that. Anti-aging stuff. Okay, I'm okay. 52 years old. People say to me, Spence, you look younger than your age. And so I champion that. I'm happy with that when I get that feedback. But I never, ever taken any medication at all for any of that kind of stuff i've never put any form of cream on my face i've never washed with any fancy stuff that like, my wife gets marketed to <laughs> so one of the first things you might want to do is get a true age test and this is the, the very latest ability to measure how old your cells are biologically and um, I've, I've interviewed the leaders in the field of anti-aging, guys like Dr. David Sinclair, our friends, uh, Dr. Vince Giampapa, uh, founders of the American Academy of Anti-Aging Medicine. And we all recognize that this is the way to know how you're actually doing. So you say, I look good in the mirror. Well, maybe you have some good genes. Maybe you just didn't get enough sunshine, which would have been good for you. I mean, who the heck knows? And by the way, how much of your fat is around your organs, which is the dangerous fat that you can't see versus how much is just a little bit around the waist? You could quantify all that. So a true age test will run about 400 bucks. It'll tell you very precisely how old your body is. You could come into Upgrade Labs when we open one here, hopefully, and we'll tell you where that fat is. I'm in LA. Yeah, oh, you're in LA. So LA is easy. Go to the one in Santa Monica or, or Beverly Hills at the Beverly Hilton. We have one. We took over their spa. So... Um, that's an easy way to do it. And we can say, all right, where's the fat? Where's the bone density? Where's the muscle? And see how you're actually doing instead of how you perceive yourself in the mirror. Because I hate to tell you, there's a little guy in there that has a half a second to tell you to see what it wants you to see in the mirror. And what it wants you to see is stuff that's not scary. So we are intentionally blind to our faults and our weaknesses because they might be scary. Okay. So I go so and get, get this test. Get the numbers. Once I've got the numbers, yeah. then what do I do? Well, that's going to tell you what you want to do. There are supplements that are provably anti-aging, but for you, the fat-soluble vitamins, vitamin DAKE, D-A-K-E, these are signals that drive minerals into your cells, and then you need to take a mineral supplement. So in the US, my supplement company is called Subgrade. I also talk about all the other awesome supplement companies on my show. So I'm not one of those guys who says, I, only I make the good stuff. There's lots of stuff. I focus on those two things first because they're foundational. Everyone listening to the show needs to be on vitamins D, A, K, and E. And that's relatively affordable compared to all the other expensive anti-aging stuff. And right after that, broad spectrum minerals. Because your diet and your environment are robbing those from your body. And if you just have those, the body's innate repair systems can turn on and start repairing you. So you would do those. Maybe have some liver. <laughs> Not a bad idea. Okay, That might just be enough. And then the other stuff isn't necessarily supplements. Do you track your sleep? I don't sleep enough, for sure. Well, I don't, I don't believe you. Well, I get, a, I get up at 4.30 every day. I'm in bed at 11. Probably sleep at 11. That's probably a little low, unless you have a genetic thing that but lets that's you do that. Since I was a kid, so. I'm thinking you might have the genetic thing uh, that lets you get less sleep. You're going to like this news, though. It turns out people who live the longest 
get six and a half hours of sleep, not eight hours of sleep. People who need eight hours of sleep are sicker than people who need six and a half. Really? That's what that, and this is really big data sets. This is good science. So I've been teaching people for years how to get more sleep in less time, how to improve the quality of sleep, not the length of sleep. It's like someone says, oh, you need to eat more calories. Were those liver calories or corn chip calories? Because I think they're different. Of course they are. Right. So with sleep, it's not about quantity, it's about quality. So my average sleep, I've measured my sleep every night for 15 years because I was so bad at sleeping. <laughs> and my average is six hours and 32 minutes. Not because I set an alarm, because that's just what it ended up being when I got myself to sleep well. And I get about an hour and a half of deep sleep and an hour and a half of REM sleep. When I started, I got five minutes of deep sleep and five minutes of REM sleep. So now I get huge amounts of quality sleep in very little time. And we don't have time to teach you or everyone listening how to do it, but best URL of my life, go to sleepwithdave.com and for free, I'll just give you everything on how to sleep better. That's really interesting because I think when I go to sleep, I put my head on the pillow and I'm out for the count. I don't, I don't wake up, toss and turn the whole night. I'm, I'm but if you drink six pints and you lay down, you're going to wake up feeling different than if you just, right? But yeah. both times. So it's not about how passed out you are. It's about... What did your brain do during that time? Did it go through the cycles that give you growth hormone and testosterone? Did it go through the cycles that reset your, uh, your working memory? Did it flush all the toxins out? Because if you're sleeping well, you won't get Alzheimer's. If you're sleeping poorly, you'll get Alzheimer's. It's a major contributor. I have just started over the course of the last four weeks having ice baths. And before ice baths, I had, so for some time <clears throat> before, I went to cryo chambers. Mm-hmm. Cryo chambers, I found uh, at the beginning of doing it, not very comfortable, but I got into it and it wasn't such a big deal. I'd have my earphones in and I'd dance around the cryo chamber a little bit while I was in there for the four or five minutes, whatever it was. Three, yeah. Three minutes. Is it three? Okay. Ice baths are a whole new level of pain <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah, there's some people that do it with me that literally, and I know a 65 year old lady that gets in and she gets in with me, she gets her head under, she sits in there, she's happy as Larry, no problem at all. But I'm sitting there like hands under my knees, shivering, terrified, hating every minute of it. Now clearly there's some, 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 some form of story being told to myself in that moment. Oh, yeah. I just want to get out. First of all, does it make sense to do it? Is it valuable? And secondly, does it get better? All right. <laughs> Cryotherapy is something that I helped to popularize. It's been a part of biohacking since day one, and it's part of what we do at Upgrade Labs. So when people open an Upgrade Labs franchise, uh, then they can have cryotherapy there. Cryotherapy is when you go in with super chilled air, mm -hmm. and it triggers the peripheral cold receptors in your body. The idea is to tell the cells in your body that an ice age is coming. If any cell or any part of a cell can't turn on heat immediately, it's the body's job to kick that cell out and replace it with a young, strong one that can turn on energy quickly. The first three days someone does a cold shower or cryotherapy, they're going to say Dave Asprey is the biggest jerk ever because it's miserable those first three days. But studies show that after three days, these are my studies, but it's the same in humans, your cells shift the level of a compound called cardiolipin. It's part of your mitochondrial energy and heat production system in the body. And after that, all of a sudden, it feels relaxing instead of painful and traumatic just to have a cold shower hit you in the face. 
most people will do eight to 10 seconds the first day. They'll do 20 seconds the second day, and they'll do about a minute the third day. And the fourth day, like, oh my God, I feel great. Wow. Okay. What's happening here is your body says, you might die if it's this cold because I want to be warm and I want to be overfed because we know from 2 billion years of life on the earth that freezing to death and dying from a lack of energy, lack of calories, these are common problems. So it automatically protects you from those before you can think about it. And the way it protects you is by telling you that hurts, but it doesn't actually hurt. If you really sit down and you apply curiosity about what it feels to get in an ice bath, it's not the same as being punched in the face. It's not the same as being burned. What's going on is the body is saying, I don't like this, therefore I will make you feel pain. But if you just pay attention, it's not, it's something else. It's cold. And that's part of what's going on with your friend. The other part is that once the body knows this is a regular practice, then it just becomes stronger. And it says, oh yeah, I got this. Like climbing stairs. If you're completely deconditioned, a flight of stairs, I'll die. Well, no, not really. But once you're used to it, you just bound up the stairs and you're okay. So if you look back, even in England, just 80 years or so, people would take their children and leave them outside the restaurant in strollers to get cold air. You, you look at Russia, you look at any of the cold places like Sweden, Norway, you intentionally put children and babies in really cold air so that they'll be strong and healthy. You just don't leave them there all day long. Traditional Chinese medicine, you don't be cold all the time. So with your ice baths, you want to take the ice baths so that you get cold and you don't get cold to the point that you're shivering and cold all day because that's probably too stressful. And you don't do it twice a day. Cold is a stressor. Exercise is a stressor. You can overtrain and that'll make you weak. You can also get too much cold exposure so you're never warm and that'll also make you weak. But a brief cold exposure followed by your body using its own energy to get warm again is like exercising. But it also this is important because you talked about depression. It changes your body's dopamine sensitivity. Dopamine is a happiness chemical and a motivation chemical. If you did an ice bath in the morning, everything else throughout that day is more rewarding, you're happier, and your pain threshold is different. In other words, it makes you more resilient. That's why you do ice baths, because it makes everything else in life feel better. And you should do them in the morning. You can do them whenever you want to. There's an argument that they help you sleep. I think they do because the first half of your sleep, you want to be cool. So if you cool off before you go to sleep, it can work. But for some people, it's too uh, energizing. They get too many endorphins and they're jumping around and they just can't sleep. Depends on your style of sleep. I come back from the ice bath in the evening and in Dubai with 40 degrees, 44 degrees Celsius. And I have my windows and my AC off and my windows open driving back with 10 kilometers. <laughs> That's just like totally unheard of in Dubai in the summer. People think but, you're crazy, yeah, right? Yeah, they think I'm mad. And I'm just like, oh, this is nice. I'm it, feeling the breeze. It feels really good. <laughs> Dave, you're an encyclopedia of knowledge. It's, the, it's sitting with you. Every time you give me an answer to something, I'm like, oh, I need to ask him this. I need to ask him that. Oh, hold on a minute. What about that? And it just keeps flowing. Someone that's really gone down this this kind of rabbit hole in so much depth and understood so much you've just got so much to share and i think the world needs to see more of this from you and like so we can really understand it because i really truly believe there's a lot the majority of people out there don't know and if they did like with me it just has to open something a little bit to open yeah. the curiosity for people to go hold on a minute and like what you said with the place in Seattle, like what you've told us about with that nutrition and the benefits of various different anti-aging treatments, it's like, 
there's a lot of stuff that we could all be doing that isn't actually that difficult to participate yeah. in that could have massive difference to our future. We've been programmed to believe that this stuff is hard and it's going to require superhuman effort and it'll be exhausting and overwhelming. That is bad programming. It is supposed to be easier. This is the path of least resistance that creates the most energy and the most freedom in your life. And it's not supposed to be hard. You are not supposed to suffer. I am not hungry all the time. In fact, I'm never hungry whether I eat or not. You can have a level of energy that you've never even experienced. You just need to know the code to unlock it. You don't have to just throw yourself against the wall until you're beaten and bruised and maybe someday it'll work. That's what they want you to think, but that's not how it works. There's three things in life that people clearly want very easily. Everybody wants to know how to get rich quick. Everybody wants to know how to lose 20 kilos in a week. And everybody wants a million followers nowadays. They're the three things. If you're selling that, people want. Yeah. But the, the second thing, the, the losing weight fast, there's never, there's never been a shortcut okay, to sustainably losing weight. Hence the reason all these diets come out that everybody tries and they never actually happen. But what you're doing is going to be, has changed you and will change other people, me included, if I follow your instructions mm -hmm. for the better. I'm going to argue those three things are really one thing. What people want is to be happy. And they have been programmed to believe that if you make a million dollars, you'll be happy. It doesn't work. Okay. I tried it. I'm sorry. It doesn't work. Okay. Right. If you have a million followers, you'll be happy. I also tried that. It doesn't work. Okay. I've been in Glamour and Vogue and Wired Magazine and Forbes, Forbes and New York Times and I don't know, all, all that stuff. It doesn't make you happy. Not even a little bit. So fame and power. And I'm at 7.1% body fat. Now I lost my hundred pounds. I've kept it off for 15 years sustainably. I'm not hungry. It doesn't require effort and all this suffering and crap. That also doesn't make you happy, but it helps because you have more energy when you do that. So I would just argue, I'll be happy when is the main problem. You can learn to be happy now and then all that other stuff is easy. But if you focus on those things, you'll be miserable the whole time. And when you get them, you still won't be happy. Mike dropped. <laughs> Dave Raspberry, thank you so much for coming to join us on the show today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks, Spencer. Thank <laughs> you.